the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Alan Dempsey, once again, handling the engineering chores. Uh, Andrew Herdliska uh, produces this show each weekend. And York Rieger is with us. He is the Wendland Cook Professor of Constructive Theology at the Perkins School of Theology at SMU. And his new book is out. It's called Faith on the Road, A Short Theology of Travel and Justice. Uh, York, great to visit with you. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much, Pat. Uh, it's great to be on your show. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Tell me about your work at SMU before we plow into your book. So I'm a professor of theology here at Perkins School of Theology. I've um, been in this place for 22 years and um, basically teaching uh, theology students. A lot of my students are training to be ministers, so we have about two-thirds of those. Then we have a few Ph.D. students. And uh, this is a school that's located in Dallas, Texas, so uh, it's an interesting place to work. Um, I'm a United Methodist myself. I probably also should tell you uh, that I'm on my way uh, to Vanderbilt um, Divinity School. This is uh, where um, I'll be teaching uh, starting next fall, actually this fall, 2017, and uh, looking forward uh, to working uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, that's interesting. Tell me about your new book. So this is a book on traveling, um, and I wrote this for various reasons. First of all, um, I do a lot of traveling myself. I think traveling broadens the horizon. Traveling's a good thing. It helped me, you know, raise my kids, my family. Um, but in writing about it, I realized how many of our Christian traditions and our Jewish heritage also developed on the road. And the deeper I got into that, I realized uh we can't really understand what's going on uh, without this perspective of traveling because, you know, from Adam and Eve, basically, in the beginning, all the way to the book of Revelation, uh, our stories happen on the road. And so I find that very inspiring, and uh, that's what I wanted to explore as a theologian and as a traveler. Well, your first chapter is called The Judeo-Christian Traditions on the Road, Theological Reflections on Travel. Uh, fill us in on that for, uh, on your opening volley there in your new book. So if you look at our traditions, I mean, go back, um, mentioned Adam and Eve already, but uh, certainly with Abraham, here is somebody who is uh, sent on a journey by God, and Abraham goes out not knowing what would happen. And um, there's a promise, and uh, as Abraham goes, uh, the promise uh, eventually is fulfilled. Uh, then, you know, um, you have the exodus from Egypt. Uh, the people of Israel really um, have this as part of their deepest memory. They celebrate it every year in the Passover. Uh, again, uh, God traveling with them in a situation of great suffering and struggle. And, you know, you see a liberation happening. Um, if you take that to the New Testament, uh, everybody knows that Jesus spent his life on the road, you know, as somebody who has no place where to lay his head. The disciples are with him. And there's probably a large movement, not just 12 disciples, but also women uh, and, and various other people uh, who are traveling with Jesus. And uh, it seems to me what's so striking about that is they learn who Jesus is, they understand who God is on these travels. And so somebody who is just, you know, staying home, sitting in the pews may never get the whole picture. And, and then, of course, when you move on to Paul, it's very clear Paul uh, travels even further than Jesus uh, 
in and out of prison, you know, enduring all kinds of conflicts for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but Paul believes that something's happening and God is moving with him. So, so that's the powerful thing that, that I find in these Jewish and Christian traditions. God's always on the move. And, uh, you know, in, in some, what, what I sometimes say to my students, it's a good thing to ask, what would Jesus do? But it might even be better to ask the question, what is Jesus doing? So it's not just, you know, what would Jesus do uh, sort of in the past if he were here, but he's not. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is actually risen, resurrected, and therefore, you know, still at work. And when you ask the question, what is Jesus doing, you bring this into the present. And I guess you'd have to agree that when you think about it this way, uh, if Jesus was on the road uh, 2,000 years ago, that's where we find him now. And to translate that to our cities, a place like Dallas, Texas, for instance, um, of course, when you came here, uh, you'd look for Jesus, first of all, in the sanctuaries and with the churches. But if it's true uh, that he was doing his ministry on the road, uh, I think that's still going on. And so what if we looked for Jesus on the dusty roads of Dallas now, like, you know, the disciples found him on the dusty roads of Galilee and uh, and uh, together, you know, understood uh, what it all means and to come to a new grasp of what God does for us, who God is and how we can relate to God better. Great insights. Now, York, let's uh, talk about the second topic, travel, tourism, and migration uh, experiences on the road. So if if you look at that, you know, uh, it, it sounds like an odd combination talking about tourism and migration, because usually we either talk about one or the other. Uh, but the reason why I'm putting it together is um, it seems to me that in, um, well, I mean, first of all, there's simply the fact that traveling, tourism and migration are the two largest travel movements today and probably in the history of the world more people are on the road as tourists uh, and as migrants than than ever before and so once you look at that of course uh, they look like very different experiences but what they have in common is that they get more and more of people you know outside of their comfort zone moving around uh, to places that they have not visited before the difference of course is also clear tourists usually have some benefit you know they have some safety net, they may have travel insurance, you know, they may have a travel agent, um, whereas migrants have nothing of the sort. And so um, you might look at it this way. You could say, you know, maybe a tourist could learn something from how a migrant looks at the world. And, uh, you know, maybe a migrant um, might learn something the other way around as well. I'll give you one example. Um, Think about understanding other people or maybe even, uh, you know, learning another language. For a tourist, that sort of thing is usually optional. You know, if if you're adventurous, if you're on a trip, you know, say as an American, you go to Europe. Um, By the way, this is where I grew up. I originally grew up in Germany, uh, went to seminary there, did my PhD in the U.S., came here. So as a tourist, you go to Europe. Um, If you're adventurous, you can, you know, speak to the locals. You can go, you know, to a restaurant, uh, meet people where they are, you know, in the plazas and the the big, uh, you know, areas could go to a sports game something like that uh you learn a little bit of the language uh that's fun that's great i always seem to encourage tourists to do that um as a migrant um you have to learn it i mean you have to function in two different languages so so learning a language is not optional you know moving out of your comfort zone is not optional and if you think about that uh through a theological lens you probably would find that uh Jesus's travels, you know, the sort of things that you find uh, in the Old Testament to where, you know, people people of Israel in the Babylonian exile or in captivity in Egypt, um, that resembles a lot what the migrants are doing. And so um, I guess what I'm implying here is uh, we could learn something here uh, from people who are migrating, of course, people that come to our country that way too, and maybe uh, we could build our relationships understanding that this is something that's part of our faith. So this is not just a social agenda, but this may be the Christian thing to do. My guest is York Rieger. We're talking about his new book, Faith on the Road, 
A Short Theology of Travel and Justice. IVP Academic put the book out. Uh, We've got another segment with York, so I want you to stay with us. When we come back, we're going to ask York about pilgrims and vagabonds, challenges from the road. That's the third topic we're going to get into. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is uh, Orlando Magic Pat. And you might want to check out my most recent book. It's just out. It's called uh, Extreme Winning. We talk about the 12 qualities uh, that the extreme winners in life possess and how they got there. And uh, hopefully you'll find the book interesting and inspiring. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you have sore joints, discover a breakthrough in joint health. Kosamin ASU, a unique patented formula. Kosamin ASU goes to work fast on a cellular level inside your joints. Its active ingredients are shown to inhibit specific enzymes that break down cartilage as you age, helping protect the joint cushioning cartilage important for comfortable activity. Try Cosamin ASU at Costco.com and other fine retailers. Maybe you've been walking with God for most of your life. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus or the Bible. Whatever your background, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN invites you to join us each Sunday morning at 1045 for Reach Orlando, a Bible-centered church with a passion to love God, love people, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. Come study the Bible together with Pastor Adam Parsons and draw closer to God with Reach Orlando, Sunday morning at 1045 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Is looking good important to you? Then what you wear and how it looks on you means a lot. Let's face it, whether you wear a suit, uniform, or dickies to work, you probably spend a great deal on your clothes and you want to keep them looking good as new. That's where Priceless Dry Cleaners comes in. You can trust the folks at Priceless Dry Cleaners. They've been keeping clothes like new in Central Florida for over 25 years and from the same location, North Orlando Avenue and Winter Park, across from Trader Joe's. Short on time? Let's face it, who isn't? Family-owned and operated Priceless Dry Cleaners saves your time with free pickup and delivery from your home, shop, or office. If you want to keep your clothes looking newer longer then you need priceless dry cleaners 220 north orlando avenue winter park and at altamont springs at 851 state road 436 in the san sebastian square too check out their business vip club at pricelesscleaners.com where groups with five or more members get 25 percent off dry cleaning priceless dry cleaners because looking good and having a dry cleaner you know you can trust is important to you You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. York Rieger is with us from um, his office at SMU in Dallas, where he is a uh, constructive theology professor. And uh, that's at the Perkins School of Theology at SMU. We're delighted he's with us. His His new book is out. It's called Faith on the Road. And as advertised, York, Pilgrims and Vagabonds, Challenges from the Road. Fill us in. This is an interesting one, Pat. Um, it was an interesting chapter for me to, to write. Again, you know, it juxtaposes two terms that we may not necessarily connect with each other, pilgrims and vagabonds. Um, but let me start talking about pilgrimage. Uh, those are, of course, time-honored traditions. People have been um, doing pilgrimages for thousands of years. Uh, it's part of various religions. It's also part of Christianity. And when I researched that chapter, I found something interesting. There seems to be a difference between modern pilgrims and ancient pilgrims. One of these differences is this. Modern pilgrims assume the approval of the sacred. That is to say, you know, they assume that God is on their side as they travel. Uh, and ancient pilgrims actually uh, work the other way around. Uh, they understand that uh, the sacred may be different from them. So uh, instead of assuming the approval of the sacred, the ancient pilgrims sought to adjust their concerns to the concerns of the sacred. Uh, you know, it's a little bit, I, I find this America today, um, 
you know, this idea, um, God is on my side. Uh, a lot of people, Christians especially, assume automatically that if we're good Christians, God's automatically on my side. Uh, but there's another tradition in America. Um, Abraham Lincoln, uh, the great president, was one example for that. Lincoln would turn this around. He wouldn't ask, is God on my side, but am I on God's side? And so uh, in that perspective, you know, uh, you now have to ask some questions about yourself. You have to think about who you are, how you might need to change. And in the ancient practice of pilgrimage, this is what these pilgrims were ultimately trying to do, you know, not just uh, to find approval for themselves, but they wanted to be transformed uh, more like the image of Christ, you know, becoming more like Jesus in, in their own life. So so in, in pilgrimage here, I think um, we can learn something from these ancient practices. And I'm actually encouraging Christians uh, and people of faith who go on pilgrimage today to, to look at it from that perspective. Don't assume that God's automatically like you and on your side, but ask the question, what would it take for me to become more like God? Um, vagabonding is uh, another travel trend. This is something that a lot of young people are doing these days. That is, you know, they leave home usually with very little money, perhaps few plans even, you know, tra traveling cheap, uh, staying somewhere for extended periods of time just to learn what's going on, you know, to find an outside perspective, to broaden their horizons. Uh, sometimes college students do that, you know, when, when they're on summer break. Um, and what I find interesting about that is, uh, you know, in a way it reinforces uh, this old idea of pilgrimage where we're not going uh, to find ourselves affirmed, but we're going out there, we're traveling uh, to learn, to learn about others, to realize um, what else is happening. And so for these vagabonds, you know, um, sometimes they come back uh, with a lot of questions People who stay home, churches who stay home sometimes find that a little annoying. Uh, but I think this is how we learn. And uh, to me, the amazing thing as a theologian, uh, this is where we find God on the road. So as the ancient pilgrims found God in unfamiliar places, I think there's a chance that these vagabonds of today might also find God in, in a different place. Even though I don't think this is ever going to be automatic, it'll take some work. And this is what the book is trying to do, you know, to help people find these broader perspectives, work on themselves, travel in such a way that it makes a difference rather than just, you know, going out there with your own assumptions. York Rieger is with us. We're talking about his new book. It's called Faith on the Road. And uh, here's the next topic for us, York. Beyond Religious Tourism short-term mission trips, and immersions upside down. Uh, wh what does all that mean? So um, I'm a theologian teaching at a university school of theology. Uh, one thing that we're doing with our students, we have these immersion trips. That is to say, you know, we take them uh, to unfamiliar places, oftentimes outside the country, to meet other faith communities elsewhere. And that's a great project uh, because, again, like I keep saying, it broadens your horizon. Um, but at the same time, um, what I'm worried about is that sometimes these, and of course you know a lot of local churches are these days are doing mission trips. Here in Texas, a lot of churches have mission trips going just south of the border to Mexico. And what I'm finding there is that sometimes um, people are a little bit short-sighted. They, they still assume too quickly that God is on their side uh, and that there's not a whole lot that they can learn from the other side. So when I say upside down, I'm really talking about how we can learn from this other side. Um, I'll give you one example. This is something that we learned the hard way and something we called urban ministry. Now, urban ministry um, is, is a fairly widespread uh, notion. You know, a lot of uh, churches and schools of theology are talking about it. It simply means, um, you know, um, bringing the church into uh, all the tensions and, and the struggles of the urban areas, starting in the United States. Um, now, that's a great project, but sometimes what people assumed is that you know, at one point the churches left the urban areas to move to the suburbs. Somehow they're also assuming that 
nobody ever says it like that, but they're assuming that we took God with us when we left, and now we're bringing God back. Um, what I'm saying is actually the opposite. I'm saying, what if God never left these places, you know, inner cities, you know, places of tension and struggle uh, when the church is left. So if we're now going back doing urban ministry, we're doing it in such a way that, of course, we're helping to make a difference, but we're also finding God again engaged with, you know, the neighbors and the people in a way that we couldn't even imagine. And so this is a way of us learning more about God uh, in a way that uh, that really surprises us and, and, and that opens our eyes. There's a German theologian um, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people know of him. Um, he was one of the German theologians who opposed Nazi Germany, and he was actually killed in a concentration camp for that just before the war ended. Uh, but Bonhoeffer was a very strong, faithful theologian who cared about the integrity of the gospel, and uh, as one of his biographers once said, Bonhoeffer assumed that if you were looking for God, you had to follow God where God has gone ahead of you. You have to go where God actually is at work. And so in these you know, mission trips, in these urban ministry experiences, what I'm looking for is what if we followed God into places where God was at work? Uh, and what can we learn there? And, and uh, in my own experience, we can learn a whole lot. And that's the sort of thing I'm describing in that chapter. What is it that I've learned about God? And, you know, I keep asking this question I mentioned earlier. Um, what is Jesus doing? Not just what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing in these settings? And I find that to be a real eye-opener. York Rieger, he's our guest. Uh, Faith on the Road is the name of the new book, A Short Theology of Travel and Justice. And that brings us to the fifth topic here, York, travel as an act of justice. Uh, What do you write here? So that's, of course, um, you know, where I'm drawing the conclusions. Uh, When when I say justice, um, I'm I'm basing that on um, biblical notions of justice that talk about justice as building a relationship. It's, it's no, um, justice is not just an abstract idea of fairness in the Bible, but it's a way of building and repairing relationships. So, you know, you have this idea of God establishing a covenant with God's people, with, uh, you know, people of faith. Um, and uh, sometimes that covenant gets broken. Sometimes, you know, you have people that do their own thing, that hurt others, you know, that built their own empires uh, that are not um, related to the kingdom of God. And so justice in that sense simply means how do we restore the relationships um, in such a way that they're mutual, in such a way that, um, you know, we're also relating to God um, and and to um our neighbors. And so travel, I think, helps us uh, to get a perspective on where we sometimes have gone astray, you know, understands how, you know, our relationships have been broken. That happens certainly on a global perspective. If you look at, you know, differences between countries, the global north and the global south, uh, that raises many questions there. But but even on a local level, I think, you know, in our cities, uh, we're oftentimes so divided in neighborhoods. You know, and you have a well-to-do neighborhood and a poor neighborhood in Dallas. You know, it's between North Dallas and South Dallas. And so uh, justice here means... Um, as you start uh, moving out into these unfamiliar territories to reestablish relationships. And, and, you know, it's not just a social agenda. It's a theological, it's a religious agenda. It's, you know, finding, as I keep saying, where God is at work, what is Jesus doing? And then asking the question, how, how do we come together in this? How can we see our neighbors with new eyes? Now, I argue that this is the sort of thing uh, that helps us address a lot of the struggles that we have in our own times, Uh, you know, struggles, um, you know, of racism, um, sexism, and the kinds of things that that we see all around us. But I think it also helps us address some of the profound social inequalities that we're seeing in our times. But it does so in a positive way, you know, it it does so based on relationships, based on meeting people. and and creating some common concerns and common interests that way. York Rieger. York, what do you want people to take from our discussion here? You know, what I want them to take, uh, this is really speaking to people of faith, is uh, 
I want us to think about our faith as something that's dynamic, something that happens uh, as we move. Too often, I, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the church myself, uh, Methodist Church in Germany. Uh, too often we think of ourselves as mainly sitting in the pews, you know, stationary, related uh, to um, a very specific community. I want us to see that God's much bigger than that. I mean, that community is part of it, the pews are part of it, uh, but the movement uh, is, is essential. And so as we move around, as we build relationships, as we wake up uh, to others, to their needs, um, we, we are changing, we're growing. And, and you know, the most exciting thing for me as a theologian in those settings, uh, we're also um, experiencing God, uh, building our relationship, growing our relationship with God in a new way. And, and to me, that's the exciting thing. Finding God in places where we perhaps least expect it, uh, that takes some work. You know, it doesn't happen automatically. Mark Twain wrote a great book about uh, travelers and traveling. And he says, you know, we really need traveling to broaden our horizons. But then he describes what's happening on the road, and oftentimes people are missing it. They're not getting it, you know, these travelers. And so this is what the book is supposed to do, you know, help the traveling people, people in all kinds of situations, churches on mission trips, tourists, migrants even, um, to understand uh, that this is a bigger thing and, and this is um, what will ultimately connect us better with each other and with God. What lies ahead for you, York? Uh, you know, personally, I'm continuing to travel myself. Um, I'm concluding my work here at Perkins School of Theology at SMU. I'll be moving, actually physically moving my household, uh, my family to Nashville, Tennessee, start teaching at the Vanderbilt University Divinity School, uh, which is a great place uh, in the South, where you find people asking these kinds of questions. And so I'm looking forward uh, to working with new communities, but really doing the same thing, finding what God is doing, what Jesus is doing all around us. And I hope that this is the sort of thing that will bring us closer together and move us forward. Well, congratulations on your book. And uh, do, do you have something else in the pipeline? Do you have another book waiting to be written? Um, actually, I, I always have a few things at, at the same time. So, so Faith on the Road was published last fall. Um, the next one uh, that's coming out in April is actually one that's co-authored with my wife, Rosemary Hinkelrieger, who is a community and uh, labor organizer. The title is um, Unified, We Are a Force, Growing Deep Solidarity Between Faith and Labor. And it's talking about, uh, you know, the fact that most of us work for a living and uh, that work's valuable and that God's, um, you know, working uh, in many ways too. Another way of helping us broaden our horizon and build this closer relationship with God that I'm talking about in Faith on the Road as well. My guest, York Rieger, we've got more after this, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 90. 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. QL1, this is Control. Does Rocket Mortgage require me to come in and speak with someone? Negative Control. With Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, you can go through the entire mortgage process on your own and completely online. Copy that, QL1, but if I wanted to speak to someone, do you think they're out there? They're out there, all right. Their award-winning client service is beyond anything I've ever experienced. Three, two, one. Rocket Mortgage at QuickenLoans.com. Push button. Get mortgage. Rocket. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS consumeraccess.org number 33. 
Hey there, travelers. You going somewhere? Need a hotel? Then call Hotel Wiz anytime, day or night for rates too low to publish. You can save up to 75% on over 500,000 hotels across the globe and get our best price guarantee with no booking or cancellation fees ever. We've got some of the lowest hotel prices you'll find in New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and a lot more. Don't waste your time surfing for deals. Make a free call right now and find deals too low to publish. Save up to 75% right now with no cancellation fees. And to make it even easier on you, we're here 24-7 to help. So call right now. Book Marcus in your cell phone. Whatever you need to do, just pick up the phone and call this number for hotel deals that'll knock your socks off. 800-590-1163-800-590-1163-800-590-1163-800-590-1163. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the... New 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. York Rieger, our guest in that first half hour from Southern Methodist University, talking about his new book, Faith on the Road. Matt Keller is with us. Uh, The book is called The Key to Everything, Unlocking the Secret to Why Some People Succeed and Others Don't. Thomas Nelson is the publisher. Uh, Matt, it's great to talk to you. I'm eager to get into this book. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here today. Matt's the founder of Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida, one of America's fastest-growing churches. And uh, he and his wife, Sarah, have two boys, and we're about to dive into this book. Great topic, by the way, great title. And uh, (laughs) where do we go from there, Matt? What do we do? Well, you know, the thing is, when you write a book called The Key to Everything, the first question that uh, everybody wants to know is, all right, Hotshot, you wrote a book called The Key to Everything. Well, what is it? And uh, the answer to that question, Pat, is it's teachability, the ability to be teachable in our life. And I really, really, truly do believe that teachability is the key to everything. No matter what area of our life we want to get better in, it requires, first and foremost, teachability. And that really is what the concept of the key to everything is all about. Well, there are three major topics here. The roadblocks to teachability, the characteristics of teachability, and developing a lifestyle of teachability. So let's plow into the first one. The first roadblock you tell us is the roadblock of pride. Absolutely. You know, pride is such a huge uh, huge roadblock to teachability. And, of course, let me zoom up even a step further, Pat, and start with this. What is teachability? Because, you know, I think if you ask the average person, you know, are you teachable, you'll usually get one of two answers. The first is, yes, I'm teachable. Or someone will say, well, I hope so or I think so. And so what is teachability? And that really is, is kind of an equation of two components. The first is a desire to learn multiplied by our willingness to change. Because, again, if you ask the average person, are you teachable, they'll say, yes, I'm teachable. But the question really then breaks down into two, two directions. One is, do they have a desire to learn? And then secondly, and maybe even most importantly, are they willing to change? And so if I can make a math equation out of it, here's how I would say it, Pat. Our desire to, to, change, uh, to learn multiplied by our willingness to change equals our level of teachability. So let me use myself as an illustration. I'm a public speaker. So if my desire to learn and get better as a public speaker on a 1 to 10 scale is a 2, but my, and my willingness to change is a 3, then out of a possible 100, my teachability is only a 6. Well, it's not hard to see how I'm going to struggle at getting better and reaching my full potential as a public speaker. But if my desire to learn goes from a 2 to an 8, let's say, and my willingness to change goes from a 3 to a 9, well, suddenly that 6 just became a 72. Well, now my teachability says I'm going to get better 
as a public speaker. Why? Because of our desire to learn and a willingness to change. So that really is the essence and definition of teachability. Now, the first roadblock you talk about to teachability is the roadblock of pride. Sure, sure. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, if everybody says, all right, well, I think I can be teachable. All right, great. Desire and willingness. I get it, Matt. Then, then why aren't more people teachable? And that really is the, the roadblocks. And in the book, uh, The Key to Everything, I talk about five roadblocks, the first of which, as you say, is, is pride. And, you know, pride really is a roadblock to teachability and to reaching our full potential in life because pride always carries with it a presumptuous attitude. In other words, pride says, you know what, the rules don't apply to me. I'm above the rules or I'm, I'm uh, you know, or I can go around the rules. And so pride is that thing that for us, you know, if we're going to get better in our life, we've got to confront those areas where we, where we cross our arms, where we throw up, you know, our hands and we go, well, that's, you know, no, I don't, I'm too, I'm too good for that or I'm above that or that's beneath me. Those are all pride statements that really, you know, come out and can affect us reaching our full potential. Then comes the roadblock of fear, Matt. Yes, the roadblock of fear. Ah, wonderful, wonderful fear. You know, here's what I've realized, Pat. I've realized that, you know, every single one of us, every single day, have, have fears, unspoken, unconscious, you know, almost hidden fears, if you will, in our life that are affecting our decision-making on a daily basis. And the problem is most of us don't even know what those fears are. You know, for some of us, it's, it's this feeling of, you know, the fear of being criticized or, you know, the fear of being misunderstood or, you know, if we're a leader uh, in some capacity, you know, the fear of losing control that as an organization gets bigger, you know, I, I fear, you know, losing control. And so, you know, fear is really one of those roadblocks that we've got to confront head on and say, hey, you know, where is fear? Where am I allowing fear in my life to stop me and keep me from moving forward in my life and being teachable? Then comes the roadblock of insecurity. Sure. You know, insecurity is, is another one of those roadblocks uh, that lives in so many of us. And, you know, we look on at our life and we say, gosh, I want to be better. I want to, you know, I want to be more. I want to reach more of my potential in some area of my life. And yet insecurity holds me, holds us back. And I tell the story in the book in chapter three uh, that for years, you know, I really wrestled with insecurity. And, and when I first started Next Level Church in, in Southwest Florida, 14 years ago now, you know, I, I didn't know anybody. But about a year in, I had the opportunity to really start rubbing shoulders with some of the greatest leaders and pastors in, in America, quite honestly, today, uh, guys that have become household names, you know, in the church world, in my world. Um, and so those guys, when we get together, would say things like, Matt, let's hang out. Matt, you're doing a great job. You know, call me sometime. And they'd give me their number. And honestly, Pat, for, for about eight years, I would go home and I'd never do anything with those numbers. And I'd say, well, you know, I'm not good enough and they're awesome. And who am I to think that I should, you know, be able to call them or talk to them? And they don't really care. And my insecurity was keeping me from an opportunity. And finally, one of my friends who lives up in Sarasota, about 90 minutes north of where I live, we were meeting for breakfast one day, and I was telling him this. You know, I said, man, I just feel so insecure, and, you know, who am I, whatever. And he just stopped me, and he looked at me, and he said, Matt, how long are you going to let insecurity keep you from this opportunity that you have in front of you? And I just can't help but think of, of some of the listeners who are listening today to our conversation. And maybe that's you, that you look at your job or you look at an opportunity or you look at a parenting situation and you go, you know what, I'm letting my own insecurity keep me from, from this opportunity that's in front of us. And to that listener today, I would just say, listen, enough is enough. Come on. I'm thankful for my friends who got in my face eight years ago and said, hey, stop it. Don't let your own insecurity keep you from opportunity to learn and grow and have access to make you a better person and a better leader. And I'm so thankful that I was over to, able to overcome that insecurity. So I would just say to the person listening today, hey, enough is enough. Don't let your insecurity keep you from this opportunity that's ahead of you. What about the roadblock of pain? Well, you know, pain is, is another one of those big ones because the truth of the matter is even the best of us who had the greatest life, you know, so far, as, as pain is inevitable in our journey and our willingness to confront pain, our willingness to combat pain, our willingness to go at pain really is, you know, a key to us moving forward. Because here's what happens. I use this illustration in Chapter 4 of the book, uh, The Key to Everything, 
uh, that we're talking about. I use this illustration of, you know, when pain happens in our life, it's like, it's like a brick. And someone gives us, you know, a layer of bricks. And so something happens at work or we get fired or we get let go or we have an issue and our spouse leaves us or walks out on us or, or a friend, you know, stabs us in the back or gossips about us, whatever, the, big or small, you know, pain comes to our life. And when it comes, if we don't deal with it, it's like it adds a layer of bricks in front of us. And over time, those layers of bricks get higher and higher. And if, if, at first, it's just an inconvenience that we have to step over those layers of bricks of pain in our life and around our heart. But eventually, and Pat, you and I both know this in, in the people-building business like we're both in, where we work with people on a daily basis, people who don't deal with pain and don't you know, pull those bricks off the, off the wall as they're happening in real time, eventually that wall of bricks gets so high that we can no longer be connected to reality well. And, you know, every one of us who are listening today can probably think of someone in our life who is living behind, you know, this wall of pain, and they don't even realize it because they've painted a new reality on the inside of that wall. And you and I look on them, we're like, man, they're not okay. Man, they are messed up. Man, they are, you know, wow, whatever. Well, what's happened? What's happened is they've let pain get into their heart to a degree that they can no longer function well, and, and they become toxic to themselves, and they forfeit their future because they haven't dealt with pain. And then finally, the roadblock of pace. What does that mean? Well, pace is an interesting one because, you know, the first four roadblocks to teachability in our life, you look on and you go pride, fear, insecurity, pain. You know, everybody hears those and they're like, yeah, wow, yeah, that's true, that's true. But then you get to this pace one and there's kind of this collective sort of what? Like, like really, like the, the, my, the fullness of my calendar, like my schedule can actually be a roadblock to teachability and reaching the, my full potential in my life? And the answer to that is yes. And so this may surprise us, but the truth of the matter is, Pat, I believe we have a busyness epidemic in this country today and in our world today that we're so busy that we can't learn, we can't grasp, we, can't, we don't have the bandwidth, so to speak, and the margin to get better in our life. And one of the things I've learned is that the higher up I go, the further – here, let me say it this way – the, the more pace increases in my life, an unhealthy or unsustainable pace, but like the busier I get, the less teachable I become. That it's impossible for me to be as teachable as I need to be to get better in my life, in any area of my life, when I'm moving so fast that I'm just trying to keep the thing between the rails and just trying to, you know, move forward and, and move every day. So what I would encourage listeners to do is examine your pace. You know, are you moving too fast? You know, what needs to be cut? What good things in your life need to be cut and eliminated so that you can start to focus on, you know, the best things in your life? So those are the five roadblocks to teachability in our life. Now we get to the next major heading here, the characteristics of teachability, and there are five of them. Are you ready to start on that one, Matt? Absolutely. So in my book, The Key to Everything, which we're talking through, you know, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand and, and identify the roadblocks to teachability, but we also then have to flip that over and say, okay, that's what keeps us from living a lifestyle of teachability, but what are those characteristics that actually, uh, you know, help us to be more teachable in our life? And so what I did, Pat, is I started to examine and look at different people throughout history, men and women that you and I would look on and go, these people were great, they changed the world, they were teachable. Like, like, are there common characteristics of the most teachable people in the world? And what I discovered is that there actually are. And so I talk about in the second part of the book, these five characteristics of teachability. The first is an insatiable desire to learn and grow. We're back to this desire to learn thing again. But the most, think about it. The most teachable people that you and I know are the people who just have this desire to learn. They just want to grow. They want to get better. They just they're constantly looking for new inputs, new places. They, they have an attitude that says, everywhere I turn, everywhere I look, I can learn something from everybody. That's an insatiable desire to learn. Then the second characteristic, an appropriate view of success. Uh, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. What I discovered when I started studying you know, some of the most teachable people in the world, so to speak, is that they all understood, they had the ability to, to handle success. In other words, they knew how to, to, to uh, handle success successfully 
because success is a, is, a, is a tricky thing when it comes to our teachability because the more teachable we are in our life, the more successful we become. But the more successful we become, the more our teachability is threatened because we look around and we go, well, I'm pretty successful. Why do I need to be teachable anymore? So it's kind of this catch-22, you know, where it's like, well, I'm very teachable, and then you, success comes your way because that's inevitably what's going to happen when you're teachable. But then you go, well, now that I'm successful, I don't really need to learn anything anymore. And What can the, anybody teach me? And so we've got to be very careful. We've got to handle success successfully. And the most teachable people in the world understand that. Matt Keller is our guest. Uh, the name of the book, The Key to Everything, uh, Thomas Nelson is the publisher. Uh, here is the third characteristic, an openness to feedback. Yes, this feedback thing is big. So one of the leading characteristics of of highly teachable people is that they know how to not just tolerate feedback, but they know how to invite feedback. And here's what I mean by that, is if we're going to reach our full potential, if we're going to get better, then we have to be teachable. And the way we're teachable is by inviting those who are close to us, those who are near us, to give us the feedback about ourselves that we need, that we most need. I said this in the, in the book, uh, in Chapter 8 there, I say the people who are best suited to give us feedback are the ones who benefit the least from it. Our guest in this segment, Matt Keller, more with Matt right after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm Select Quote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if Select Quote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-509-1667. That's 1-800-509-1667. 1-800-509-1667. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors now available in all states. Frank Reynolds and Company, a family-oriented and faith-based wealth management firm, is here weekdays at 5 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. It's Faith, Family, and Finances, helping Christian families utilize intelligent wealth management strategies as they seek to accomplish God's leading in their lives, preserving wealth for the future, and preparing wealth for generations to come. Faith, Family, and Finances, weekdays 5 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950. 50 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Matt Keller is with us from Fort Myers, Florida. We're talking about his new book, The Key to Everything. Okay, Matt, let's talk about a flexible approach to life. Sure. We're talking about characteristics of highly teachable people, and people who are highly teachable have a flexible approach to life. In other words, they are okay with not everything always being up and to the right in their life, because as you know, Pat, uh, setbacks and drawbacks are, are bound to happen and will happen throughout our life. And how we handle those, our approach to the seemingly you know negative things that happen and setbacks in our life will determine our level of success long-term. And so teachable people are very flexible people. 
I want you now to talk about an ability to handle failure well. Sure. We're talking about the five characteristics of highly teachable people, and the fifth one is this idea of handling failure. So I mentioned a couple of minutes ago before we went to the break there that, you know, highly teachable people know how to handle success well. But the truth is when you flip that coin over, highly teachable people know how to handle failure as well. And here's the biggest piece of that. The biggest piece is that um, highly teachable people don't let failure define them long term. That see, there's this, there's a struggle that comes when failure comes our way because failure is inevitable to come our way in our life. All of us will make mistakes. All of us are, are imperfect people, and you know, from time to time, we'll fail. But highly teachable people have decided that they're not going to let uh, failure define them long term, and so they're not going to see themselves as a failure. They're going to say, you know what, I failed. That was a setback in my life, but I'm not defined by that. That's a, a major characteristic of highly teachable people. Now we're ready to move to the third major topic here, developing a lifestyle of teachability. Okay, Matt? Yes. Yeah, so the biggest key, or the first you know, part of the book, Pat, it centers around you know, the, this idea of the roadblocks to, to being a teachable person. The second then is the characteristics, but then how do we actually pull this off? How do you and I develop what I call in the book a lifestyle of teachability? Because, see, teachability is not just a one-time thing. It's like working out. Like if you want to live a lifestyle of physical fitness, we can't just go to the gym one time and be like, there, I did it. Boom, I'm done. I am now physically fit. It doesn't work that way. Physical fitness is a lifestyle, and the same is true with teachability, that it's not okay for us to just go, yeah, I was teachable in college or yeah, this one time my boss sat me down and, you know, I was teachable in that moment. No, no, no. Teachability is a lifestyle. And if you and I are going to reach our full potential that we were created to have in our life, then in any area of our life, then we've got to develop a lifestyle. And the way we do that is first to determine how we're going to define teacher forever. That's chapter 11 of the book. And what I talk about and what I mean there is you and I, highly teachable people, have to make a determination that we're going to see everybody in our life as a teacher. So that means our spouse is a teacher. Our kids, at times, can teach us things about ourselves. The people we interact with, our coworkers, our cantankerous boss from time to time, every single person in our life is a teacher. And if you and I are going to develop a lifestyle of teachability, that's how we do it. It starts with starting to see every single person in our world differently than we do today. We've got to see them as a teacher. Now, we've got to talk about this topic. Determine how you're going to define teacher forever. Sure. Yes. How do, well, and again, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, again, you know, that's where we've got to figure that out. Like, this is a lifetime decision of how we're going to define teacher. You know, we've got a highly teachable people see everyone as a teacher in their world. Tell me about learning the art of asking great questions. Yes, uh, this is perhaps my favorite chapter in the whole book right here is chapter 12, uh, which is learning the art of asking great questions. Here's, here's what I discovered a long time ago, Pat. I discovered that every single person we come in contact with has a story and has wisdom deep inside of them. And uh, matter of fact, the the ancient writer uh, in the book of Proverbs said it this way, the heart of a man is a deep well. Wise is the person who minds it out, who knows how to mine out the deep things in a person's heart. Well, the way you and I mine out the deep things in a person's heart is by asking great questions. And so in chapter 12, I talk about 11 different, you know, tips on how you and I learn the art of asking great questions. And so I think readers will have a lot of fun. With Chapter 12, I think they'll enjoy that because there is an art, and you know this as someone who does interviews like this quite often, there's an art to asking good questions that mine out the depth that are inside of a person that we're talking to. Let's talk about the next topic, get wisdom, uh, you tell us. How do you, how do you get wisdom? Yes, wisdom, you know, is, is, again, one of those things that for people who are developing a lifestyle of teachability, they have to, they have to seek out aggressively this idea of wisdom. I say in the book that wisdom is teachability in attitude form. Or I'm sorry, I flipped that. Teachability is wisdom in attitude form. And so wisdom is one of those things that we've got to seek out. And so for me, um, you know, obviously studying great leaders, you know, and reading and, and absorbing content, listening to shows like this, you know, is a great place to get wisdom. But for me, I've found that one of the greatest places to get wisdom in my life is found in uh, a book that is in the Bible called the book of Proverbs. 
And so one of the things I recommend in Chapter 13 of, of the book, Key to Everything, we're talking about, uh, is that people start to read a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters, and basically there's 31 days in a month. And so my recommendation, my challenge to people is start reading the book of Proverbs found in the Bible every single day, a chapter of it, and see what happens. What happens, I believe, is over time you'll start to gain wisdom. And wisdom really, truly is the principal thing. And then know yourself well, you tell us. Yes, we're talking about five, you know, uber-practical steps to developing a lifestyle of teachability. If we're going to be highly teachable people, how do we do that? Well, we have to know ourselves well. And so inside of Chapter 14, I talk about, you know, knowing our strengths, knowing our rhythms, knowing our tendencies, and all of those things matter. That highly teachable people, people who have developed a, a, a lifestyle of teachability, know themselves well. And then I want you to talk about choose to trade your life for learning. Yeah, you know, the, the conclusion of the book, uh, Pat, chapter 15, really centers around this idea of making a choice, that if you and I are going to develop a lifestyle of teachability, which means we're going to reach our full potential in life, then we've got to choose to trade our life for lifelong learning. That means we never grow up and we never grow out of learning. It means we never stop learning, that as long as we have breath, we're looking for inputs. We're desiring, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, the definition of teachability. We, are, we have a desire to learn and a willingness to change. If we can do that, we'll develop a lifestyle of teachability, and that is the key to everything. Matt, at the end of your book, uh, you've got one last little piece here, and it says, Final Thoughts on Teachability. Uh, just a short page or two. Uh, sure. what, what do you write there? Well, here's, here's really the, the end of the whole story, Pat, and that is this. The world we, lived in, we live in has changed. That success is, you know, no longer comes to the person who works the hardest or tries the hardest or whatever. Success now hinges on one thing, and that is teachability. And so teachability is a choice. Teachability is possible, and I believe teachability is essential to getting where we most want to go in our life. Teachability truly is the key to everything. Uh, in the last minute here, Matt, I'm curious about your church in Fort Myers. Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. Well, Next Level Church is a church that my wife and I moved from uh, the Midwest back in 2002, 14 years ago now, to start Next Level Church. And we had four of us when we started and no clue what we were doing. But God has just been so faithful. And so uh, Next Level Church is we have two campuses now. Uh, two locations. We're going to launch a third uh, campus this fall in a movie theater. We're so excited about that. And so, uh, you know, God has taken those humble beginnings, Pat, of just four of us in a little coffee shop. And now there are over 3,000 people who attend on a regular basis, you know, weekly basis at one of our campuses, one of our services. And uh, we're a leadership organization, and we love, you know, working with pastors and church planters and other leaders in the body of Christ. But we also love pouring into business leaders as well. And so that's really the reason why I wrote the, the book, The Key to Everything, is to give leaders an opportunity to take their teams through this, find resources on this, uh, and, and really, you know, develop a, a lifestyle of teachability in their organization. So we're passionate. We're passionate about people at Next Level Church. Matt Keller, the author of The Key to Everything, unlocking the secret to why some people succeed and others don't. Matt, a million thanks. Wonderful to visit with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we will have a wrap-up, folks, right after this. Just a reminder, uh, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Uh, we gather here uh, every weekend with you and always delighted when you join us. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after this, folks, so uh, stick around, please. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, folks, I'm so glad you could join us here. 
on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. York Rieger was our guest in that first half hour talking about his book, Faith on the Road. And then Matt Keller joined us. And uh, we had a chance to talk about his latest work called The Key to Everything. And by the way, it is teachability. Interesting chat with Matt Keller. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is out. It's called Extreme Winning, uh, The 12 Keys to Be an Extreme Winner, uh, a chapter on each one of them. I think you'll enjoy the book. It's in bookstores now. And Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Have a great week ahead, my friends, and we'll be back next weekend for more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.